0: This morning our lovely Pastor Carl has given me this privilege um, of standing up here in front of you and sharing with you what's on my heart um, about this last section um, of Colossians that we'll, that we'll look at in a moment. But before I continue, there's a disclaimer, um, and I want to make this very, very clear from the very outset. I'm not up here this morning to preach at you. That's definitely not, not my intention. More than anything, I'm up here this morning to preach to myself. And you're just privy to it. <laughs> and the reason I say this is because what I'm about to share with you is something I struggle with on a day-to-day basis. It's something that I've definitely not, not mastered. And I fall and I fail multiple times. It doesn't come naturally to me. But I'm extremely grateful that I have, that we have, a loving Heavenly Father who accepts us the way we are and who picks us up when we fall. We have a selfless Christ who died on the cross for us, shed his blood, his body was broken, so that we can be forgiven and reconciled every time we fall. And we just sang sang the song. We have a wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us, helping us to grow and to learn and to move forward. Um, in, in our journey. So I'm not the model, for sure. But God's somewhat funny like that. He'll use the most average Joe, excuse the pun, <laughs> to be a mouthpiece for his word. So I want you to sit back this, this morning and just relax and let the word of God speak to you. Not me. Joe is flawed. Joe is unworthy of this stage. But the word of God is powerful. In fact, the word of God speaks of itself in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this. The word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I love the way one pastor put it. He said, you can read any book on the planet, but the Bible is the only book that will read you back. And that's so true. Now, we've been running through the book of Colossians, and and if you've been here for the last few weeks uh, and months, um, Carl and, uh, and, and other speakers have done an amazing job of just digging in there and bringing out incredible nuggets of gold and incredible nuggets of wisdom to guide us in our walk with the Lord. Uh, and for those of you who, are, who may be new to the faith, or for those of you who, who, who are new to the church, who um, are still searching um, for answers, let me just give you a quick recap uh, on the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is one of 66 books in the Bible that make up the Bible. And it's not actually a book, it's, it's, it's actually a letter. And it was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was one of the founding fathers of the of the Christian movement in the early first century. And the Apostle Paul wrote in about about 50 to 60 AD, scholars are still a bit uncertain of the date, he wrote a letter to a church uh, in the city of Colossae, which is in the ancient Roman Empire, which today is in modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this letter when a guy named Epiphras showed up um, to where he was. Paul was in prison at this time, most likely in Rome. And a guy named Epiphras had started the church in Colossae. And Epiphras had come to tell him about how the church was going, about what was happening inside the church, and about the pressures that the church was facing um, there in Colossae. And as Epaphras was making his way home, Paul handwrites this letter for him to take back with him uh, and read to the to the Christians in, in Colossae to encourage them in their faith uh, and in their walk with the Lord. And so the last few weeks we, we, we've been looking at all that Paul has said to the church at Colossae. And now we reach the very end of the book, the very last portion. And Paul is essentially giving his final greetings, he's saying his, his farewells, He's saying he, he mentions all these different names, he says, uh, think about this guy, um, this guy did this to me, remember this guy, remember me, etc., etc., in all these greetings. And in the midst of all these greetings, he touches on a very, very important concept, a very, very, in, in my mind, a nugget of pure wisdom and of pure gold. It's hidden there, and if we're not careful, we can actually glance over it pretty quickly. That's what happened to me. I used to read this passage over and over again, and it never clicked to me until I was called to study this passage and speak to you here. And the truth is, this little concept is very simple, very simple concept. But if digested, and if taken in, has the potential to change your life pretty much overnight. And it has the potential to change the lives of people around you. This concept touches every single relationship in your life. It's a very relational issue that Paul uh, talks about here. It has the potential to change your family dynamics, the way you relate to your parents or your siblings or your spouse or your kids. It has the potential to change the way you relate to people in your workplace. It has the potential to influence people that you thought were long gone in your life. And it also has the potential to change uh, lives, the, the lives of those who are with you right now, perhaps sitting next to you right now. So turn with me in your Bibles and we'll look at this concept in the fourth chapter of Colossians in verse 12. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. I'll put it up on the screen here for you. And this is what Paul has to say to the Christians in the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this. Epiphras. Now who was Epiphras? He was the founder of the church at Colossae. Exactly. He was the main man. He was the leader of the church there in Colossae. I want you to listen to what Paul has to say about him. Epiphras, who is one of you? He's one of your stock. He's from your city. He does life like you do. He's brought up like you. He was raised like you. He eats like you. He pays his bills like you. He goes to work like you. Epiphras, one of you. He carries on. A bondservant of Christ greets you. Now, now, now let's just pause there for a moment because it's, a, it, it, it's incredibly important. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters to a lot of people. And he mentions a lot of names. In fact, half of the New Testament is written by this guy. And in it, he only uses the word bondservant to refer to three people. Did you know that? He only uses the word bondservant to refer to three people. In the original Greek, it's the word duolos. It means slave. It refers to someone who has willingly become a slave to Christ and his mission. It refers to someone who has given their entire allegiance and committed themselves to the mission of Christ and to Christ. And Paul refers to only three people in all of his letters as a bondservant of Christ. The first is himself, of course. The second is Timothy, who is his protege, his disciple that he's training up. And the third is Epaphras. So clearly, there's something about this man Clearly, in Paul's eyes, Epiphras is as committed to the gospel and is as committed to Christ as he was. So Paul's setting us up, setting us up here to, to show us that there's a model, that there's something that this man does that is worthy of further inspection. And that's what I want to camp out. Uh, that's what I want to look at here this morning. In, in fact, we'll read the whole verse, actually, uh, actually in verse 12. E- Epiphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ... Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and for those of you who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul saw something awesome about this man. But what was so awesome? When I first read this passage, I thought to myself, Wait a minute, Paul. all All this guy does is he prays for his church. What's so great about that? A lot of people pray for their church. Pastors pray for their church. Members of the church pray for their church. What's so great about it? But there is something very special about the way Epiphras prays. And if you take nothing away from what I have to say this morning, I hope you'll take this one simple concept. If you fall, if you fall asleep, feel free to do so. But just take this one simple concept home with you, and that's this. Prayer that works is prayer that works. Let me say that again. Prayer that works is prayer that works. Now some of you may be looking at me and thinking, Joe, you've got a typo up there. Or uh, Joe, you've said it twice. (laughs) But trust me, this is intentional. (laughs) What do I mean when I say prayer that works is prayer that works? It essentially means that prayer, which requires effort, or in which you put effort, produces real results. Prayer that you actively engage with, actively engages your world. Prayer that you work for, that you wrestle with, with God, not just lazily say once a year at a Christmas dinner, Prayer that you really work for is prayer that works to change your world. Prayer that works is prayer that works. And here Paul describes a man who works in his prayers and it produces works in his world. So let's, let's look at Epiphassus' prayer life, but I just want to say one, one more thing. If you're a new Christian, Um, or if you're not a Christian and you're still seeking answers, then please keep this in mind. That what I'm about to say can sound quite intense, and it should. And what I'm about to say may not make a lot of sense to you. and And that's okay. Just relax. And just lean back and enjoy a front row seat. You're getting a glimpse into what a mature Christian prayer life ought to look like. But for the rest of us who know Christ, we don't get off that that easy, unfortunately. <laughs> if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and I speak this to myself mostly, I challenge myself and I challenge you to take this seriously and to meditate on it during the course of your week. Let the model that Epiphras gives us shape the way we pray for people around us. Okay, so let's get, let's get into it. Verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. Always laboring fervently in prayers for you. Always laboring fervently in prayers for you. Did you catch those words? Do those words make sense to you? Let's imagine for a second we're flies on the wall of Epiphras' prayer room. And we're watching him pray. What would you see? What would you see I'll tell you what I see, and I've thought a lot about this, but I'll tell you what I'll see. I see a man hunched over, on his knees, pleading, wrestling, maybe even crying at the feet of the Father as he prays for his church, as he prays for the people that he loves. I see a man who consistently and regularly sets aside time without fail and brings his requests to God always laboring fervently for you in prayers. In other words, what I see is a man who is passionately persistent with his prayers. Passionately persistent with his prayers. In fact, Paul says this in verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. Epiphras was a man who was passionate for his people. Epiphras was a man who was persistent with his people. It's palpable, right? It's extraordinary. It's next level stuff. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. But I can guarantee you that takes a lot of work. That's a lot of work to pray like that. Now, let me ask you a question Do you pray with passion and persistence for the people that you love? Do I pray with passion and persistence? the people that I love if you were on the fly if you were a fly on my wall would you see me praying like this always laboring and fervent and the answer unfortunately to quite a degree is no and the reason it's a no is because it's hard work it takes effort it takes time it takes energy and time and energy is something that I would rather use doing something else that I think is more productive. But let's just imagine for a second, what if I prayed like this for one person in, in my world? What if you prayed like this for one person in your world? What if you prayed like this for your family? What if you prayed like this for your workmates, people that you really care about? Can you imagine the impact that God would have in their lives if you prayed like this? Now we know that God is a loving God and he listens to our prayers. He hears us all the time. But can you imagine the greater impact it would have if you prayed with such fervency? Always laboring fervently before the feet of the Father. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, fervent prayer works. Diligent prayer works. When you pray passionately and persistently, it changes the world around you. and It changes the people around you. But I want you to notice the purpose of Epaphras' prayer here. Now remember, this was a time when uh, the Christian movement was still fledgling. It was new. And there was incredible persecution um, if you were a new Christian. If you were a new Christian, you really had to mean it. You really had to want to be a Christian because so many people were out to get you. For one, the Roman Empire was trying to squash the Christian movement because they were preaching about this king named Jesus who wasn't Caesar, and so it was like high treason. On the other hand, you had all these religious groups who were greatly offended at how this Christian movement was gaining so much momentum. And so there were a lot of issues in the church at Colossae. But I want you to notice how Paul describes Epiphras' prayer. Epiphras does not necessarily pray for the church's safety. He doesn't necessarily pray for the church's protection. He doesn't necessarily pray for the church's financial well-being or the, or the church's comfort. But listen to what Epaphras prays for. In verse 12, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. In other words, Epiphras' purpose when he prayed passionately and persistently was this, that the people he loved would live their life as God willed it. As God willed it. No ifs, no buts that their highest priority would be to understand the will of the Father and to walk therein. That was his root prayer. And let's be honest, that's, that's hard to pray like that. That's extremely hard to pray like that, because it's so much easier to pray that those you love have good health. It's so much easier to pray that those you love have all the money that they need. It's so much easier to pray that those you love have all their dreams, all their goals, all their ambitions. Uh, fulfilled and met but it's so much harder to put your trust in the will of the father for those that you love or even for yourself and the root issue is really this do you really trust God with your life do you really trust God with the lives of the people around you do you really believe that he is a loving heavenly father who sent His Son to die on a cross for you, who reached down into the darkness to pick you up. Do you really believe it? Your prayer life will tell you whether you really believe it. Because the most selfish prayer that you can pray is this, Father, my will be done. Father, I know what's best. My will be done. But the wisest prayer and the most loving prayer that you can pray for another is this. Father, Thy will be done. Father, enable them, enable me to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. But that takes work. That takes some real soul digging. That takes some real soul digging. What is the purpose of your prayers? Do you want God to be your divine butler who tends to your every want and your every need as soon as you ring a bell? Or do you know, do you believe that He knows what's best for you and what's best for the people around you? I don't want to take too too much more time and I'll close with this. I hope I've given you something to take home with. Something very simple. We can go into extreme theological exegesis about this passage if you wanted to, but, you know. Prayer that works is prayer that works. Prayer that takes work is prayer that works. If you pray passionately and persistently, you will see results. And if you pray with the right purpose in mind, you will see results. And I guarantee you, when you pray like this, your world will change. The people around you will change. Your focus and your destination will change. And, le- and let me just close with this last thing. Like I said, for those of you who are new to the faith, or who are still exploring, it takes time to build your trust in God. It takes time to have a prayer life that's as passionate and persistent as as for us. It takes time. But that's the goal. And for those of you who are not Christians, ju- ju- just remember that God is good. That God loves you. That God cares for you. That He reached down for you. And if you're still seeking, ask Him to reveal Himself to you. I hope that's been some help, and I thank you. Yeah.